Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. All right, looks like we could be, uh, uh, yeah, here we go to start the show here. Breaking news, Matt Zenitz from On3, longtime guy covering the SEC, saying that Georgia is hiring North Carolina Stacey Searles as offensive line coach. Uh, this was first reported by uh, Dogs HQ. Searles uh, previously worked at Georgia from 2007 through 2010. So Searles most recently at uh, North Carolina, been at Texas before that, obviously going back to uh you know uh, first decade of the 21st century spent some time there at uga so it looks like stacy searles is on his way to being offensive line coach there at the university of georgia so this happening as we're coming onto the air here uh this report here coming from uh zenitz and uh, dogs hq so it looks like searles is going to be the guy here for uh uga and we'll obviously get john stinchcomb some thoughts from him on that coming up in just a uh, little bit quite a way to start our show first time being back live with you again after uh being away on vacation last week and obviously a lot of thoughts on this and uh, as we kind of work our way to the Searles part of it let's go back and look at kind of how we get here with the decision of Matt Luke to to step down and let me begin this way by by, by saying this you know the most important move that Kirby Smart probably made when he first became Georgia coach way back in 2016 was the hiring of Sam Pittman. In so many ways, that was like the bedrock part of the entire start of the Smart era. It was pretty clear that was the hire that he wanted to make to put all of the uh, the, 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 sort of the offensive identity around that. Pittman was going to be the guy and the offensive coordinator was going to be a guy that was comfortable working with Pittman. You know, at one point in time, uh, there was, you know, it was not even necessarily going to be, you know, uh, a Jim Chaney, the guy that was really hired. It was going to be, you know, uh, somebody else that had kind of had, you know, some connections to, to Sam Pittman. But one way or another, it was going to be an offensive coordinator that was comfortable working with Pittman that Pittman was comfortable working with that was going to kind of be the guy there for Georgia and so when you look at how when Georgia first emerged as SEC champion college football playoff and uh, you know a, a team that almost won the national championship 2017 so much of that success came because of the way in which the offensive line emerged in their Pittman uh, obviously Sony Michelle Nick Chubb had great years running the football but their success rushing the football big stat improvement year over year from where you had been in 2016 to what those two became in 2017, in some respects came because the Georgia offensive line just got better. That Sam Pittman put his stamp on that program right away. Continued in 2018, Pittman was also here in 2019. And then somewhat surprisingly, and I don't say this in disrespect to Pittman because this was a little bit of an unorthodox move, somewhat surprisingly, uh, Pittman then got a chance to go be Arkansas head coach, late in his career to become a head coach. A little atypical to see a guy jump from position coach to head coach at the SEC level. This is the kind of thing that I'm not quite so sure Kirby Smart could have predicted ever occurring. So you had this scenario where you made the big hire, as big a coup as Smart had in his first staff to bring in Pittman. You had great success, and then just like that, boom, it was gone. And I think it was fair to assume that in the immediate departure of Sam Pittman there would be some growing pains to the program and all that even though hiring Matt Lucas former SEC coach that seemed itself like a, a bit of a coup but not quite to the same level of hiring someone who was such a recognized offensive line expert the way that uh the way that Sam Pittman probably was that there was some thought that hey you're going to feel the effects of no longer having Pittman here 
And this is to me like a lot of things that happen with UGA in that Smart has a way of making things look easier than they actually are. And replacing Sam Pittman two years later winning the national championship, it's not supposed to be that easy. When you lose what had been your most important offensive assistant coach, when you lose that guy and yet two years later you're holding up the national championship, all of a sudden you're making things look probably easier than they actually are. So I think as we kind of think about Georgia in transition with its offensive line here and as we're coming on the air, it sounds like Stacey Searles is going to be that guy uh, most recently at North Carolina. But as you think about Georgia transitioning with the offensive line situation here again, I think the one thing you have to stop and remark on is, wow, Georgia actually weathered a, a pretty – difficult storm actually really well that that uh, a couple of years after losing a guy as important as Sam Pittman was Georgia won the national championship it's probably not as easy as Kirby Smart made it look in terms of moving on from Sam Pittman the way they did and, and then you'll also think a little bit about and as of now a lot of y'all have had a you know a few days to kind of deal with this me being back on the air now for the first time in a while the way in which kind of Matt Luke decides to move on the fact that Luke for now is stepping down to step away from coaching and he's talked about wanting to spend more time with his family and uh seems like the grind of 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 coaching has become the kind of thing that maybe luke either wants a brief break from or maybe just wants to step away from from for forever he's obviously you know well paid as a former head coach at Ole miss and had pretty good salary there at uga presumably he's got money in the bank he's got the freedom to be able to do this if that's what he wants to do and the idea that the kind of the entirety of the picture of what it takes to be a coach of the SEC becoming the kind of thing that after a while you just want a little bit of an arm's length distance from you want a little bit of a break from that's not necessarily all that surprising to Kirby Smart I'm going to take you back here for a moment to this is smart right after winning the national championship this is an interview with Reese Davis kind of like a one-on-one private interview you know if you watch the video that's on YouTube of this from ESPN Smart's still kind of tired kind of bleary this is the morning after you know had clearly had not slept very much the night before none of us did that night early morning after that Alabama game and in the process of kind of talking about what's next for Georgia what's next for college football smart made it very clear there at the time that hey you know there is a there is a grind on coaches right now that he thinks kind of threatens the stability of the sport and in light of Matt Luke stepping down in light of Stacey Searles possibly uh I guess uh reportedly stepping in here the, the grind that, that these Georgia coaches go through on a daily basis, I think it's an important reminder here. This was smart right at the national championship, kind of foreshadowing maybe what led Matt Luke to want to step away from the job that he was doing. Here's Kirby Smart on that. What's the best path forward? What needs to change for the betterment of the sport? It worries me, I'll be real honest with you, where the game of college football is going first concern I have, the best leaders and the best men to run it and be organized with it are leaving. The best coaches are going to the NFL because they get more time with their families. They want no part of NIL, portal, constant recruiting. And you say, well, why not? Go live it and see how long you want to do it. It's not what it used to be. And I see coaches left and right, you know a lot of them, that have stepped out of this game that are saying, I'm done. Good men, great leaders, they don't want to be a part of it. That concerns me for the future of it. Where's it going? And I'm not talking about NIL or Portal in particular. I'm just saying 
the amount of time. The best thing the NCAA did was give February where coaches couldn't recruit and bring people on campus. But I think you've got to look at the calendar and say what's best for everybody because the amount of salaries that have gone up have made it so competitive that it's nonstop. At the top, it is relentless and nonstop. And if you can't cut it, you'll be gone pretty quick. So that is Kirby Smart in January, right after the national championship, talking about the challenge the coaches currently face and the the way and that's kind of forcing some to maybe want to look you know, step away from the sport and who knows if they didn't play a factor in Matt Luke's decision there but as we also take the air today you've got the reported breaking news of Stacy Searles being the replacement now for Matt Luke right there along the offensive line good timing for me um coming back here stepping into the uh, job once again as uh, Searles gets ready to step in the job here I'll read you a little bit from Mike Griffith dognation.com who says that Georgia is on the brink of hiring uh, Stacy Searles uh, who obviously was a Georgia assistant from 2007 through uh 2010 uh he says you know the last three years spent in North Carolina I'd worked with uh, Mark Rick at Miami uh, obviously I uh, spent some time you know uh you know a number of different places so that you know that's kind of the story with Stacy Searles who uh, looks to be uh, returning to Georgia, a job that he had before, hired by uh, Mark Rick. This will not be received as great news by every UGA fan, just to be completely frank here, that for uh, some fans is going to feel like a path that Georgia's previously traveled. And for a lot of Georgia fans, the the offensive line performance under Searles while, uh, while he was offensive line coach here was certainly not what it came to be in the Sam Pittman era for, uh, for UGA. So it is certainly frank and fair to say that for a lot of Georgia fans, they're going to have, to put it generously and as kindly as possible, a little bit of a wait-and-see attitude about all of this because they didn't like the, the offensive lines uh, that were maybe in place here when uh, Stacey Searles was uh, offensive line coach going back some years ago. I think it's also fair to say, and we talked about this a lot last um, – talked about this a lot last week when I was do, uh, doing my uh, vacation pre-recorded shows – that the Georgia offensive line last season was not great, probably, but it was probably good. Good, not great is the phrase that I've used a lot when it comes to that offensive line. If you look at a couple of the stats that I think are the most important when you measure offensive lines, one of these is called offensive line yards. This is basically the credit you give to rushing success to the offensive line. And the mathematical formula that a lot of the stat geeks, I'm not smart enough to understand a lot of this kind of stuff, but I do try to follow it because it is at least you know, an extra you know, level of information. What a lot of the uh, stat geeks sort of think of when it comes to the offensive line is that when you've got five yards available to gain, the first five yards of any rushing play is credit to the offensive line. That makes sense, right? The hole is open wide, you burst through, you get five yards, you give the offensive line credit for that. And then over the course of time, like say anything 10 yards or more, that's all the running back. That's him breaking, you know, a tackle. That's him, you know, moving around a would-be tackler. Anything, you know, 10 yards and more, you know, if, if it's a run for 40 yards, you're going to say, well, 30 of that yard goes solely to the running back so that kind of makes sense too and in in between there like a six or seven or eight or nine yard run you kind of share some of that credit so there is the thought of hey the first yards that you get on any rushing play are probably credit to the offensive line with that in mind the official designation of line yards that a website like football outside or something like that uses george is actually 11th last year in uh, offensive line yards gained 11th in the country that 
you know, is an example of a pretty good offensive line. They were also 20th in sack rate, not total sacks allowed, but sack rate. In other words, the number of passing plays that turned into sacks, Georgia was 4.6% on that year ago. That's 20th nationally. So Georgia was really a, a pretty good offensive line last season, probably not as great as it was in the very best moments of the Sam Pittman era, but pretty good all the way around. And I think now there is some question and concern about, well, what happens – if you lose Matt Luke, what happens if you're now even more time removed from the uh, Sam Pittman era? What happens when you bring in uh, Stacey Searles on all of this, which is what the uh, hiring is uh, reportedly going to be? And and how does this impact Georgia recruiting? Maybe something that Searles was not thought to be great at when he was here going back years ago and something that Georgia has really made one of the bedrock foundations of its um, – uh, you know of, of its success here in the uh, days of Kirby Smart, recruiting those great offensive linemen in particular. Well – I think that when you look at where all this stands right now, I think in this particular case, and listen, I'm like a lot of Georgia fans. I'm not going to pretend to be different on this, that there's a part of me that kind of wonders, why why are they doing this? You know, why why is this a little bit of return to a time in the past that not all Georgia fans loved? Like, why, you know, why is this happening right now? And I can't necessarily fully answer that. But here's the one thing I do believe is that, in this particular case, thinking in a little bit more of a short-term basis as opposed to what we might typically think of as more of a long-term basis when it comes to uh, your position coaching hires, in this particular case, that might make a, a little bit more sense. In fact, now that we know that Searles is on his way to being the guy, I think there is one thing about this hire that matters almost more than anything else. Let me explain to you what that is, but first, let me take some time to introduce the show. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. And it is good to be back live with you today, dealing with the news as it happens. Georgia apparently hiring its offensive line coach right as we're coming on the air here, reportedly uh, Stacey Searles, most recently of North Carolina, but obviously previously spending some time at UGA, coming back to the dog seat and recovering that for you today. Live on video, starting at 945, first and 15, dognation.com, dognation app, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Radio Noon. Good to be back live with our folks there in 960 The Ref in Athens today. And, of course, podcast form wherever you find them, including the world-famous dognation.com. It is just great to be back blasting out our content on all the various platforms today in the format that we have become accustomed and a very big thanks to our friends at Pella Window and Door of Georgia who make it all possible you know Pella Window and Door of Georgia can help equip your house with energy efficient windows and doors while I was enjoying the nice warm sunshine in the Caribbean and living the uh, life of luxury there I know it was pretty cold and rainy here back home in Georgia I was hearing that a little bit and when it's cold and rainy like that, you want to keep the heat right there where it's supposed to be inside your home. That means better windows and doors helps keep that energy right there inside. You're not wasting money. Uh, heating your house never been more expensive than it is right now. And so when you're uh, dealing with all of that, you don't want the you know, all, all that energy creeping out you know, behind the inefficient doors, inefficient windows. You don't want that going on. That's what Pella Window and Door of Georgia is there to prevent for you. They make your house feel better on the inside, look better on the outside. They're offering you great savings right now as well. Between now and April 21st, you can get 50% off qualifying installations. That's a big, big opportunity for you and all that. Of course, they're very easy to get in touch with there as well. In fact, let me give you a couple of ways to do that. You can check them out online, PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. That's PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. Or you can also give them a call, 678-638-1496. 678-638-1496. 
1996. Just make sure you tell them that BA from Dog Nation Daily said they would take good care of you because I know they will. All right, we are going to get uh, into this topic a little bit more. Stacey Searles reportedly being hired as an offensive line coach. John Stinchcomb coming up in a couple of minutes. We'll get some thoughts from him on that. I've got a couple more thoughts I want to share with you. Let me also just kind of address this, which is that, you know, in, in one respect, obviously the, the Searle hiring here being um, one of those things that a lot, not every Georgia fan is probably thrilled about right now. I totally understand that. This is one of those things where you sort of feel like you're kind of going back into the past, and it was an era of Georgia football that not everybody necessarily loved when it comes to the offensive line play, that Searles, this this hiring will not be well-received by everybody. Let me just give you, I guess, the one thing, though, that I think is going to matter here more than anything else, which is that for as important as recruiting has been, is, and always will be for UGA, I think the thing that probably matters to me right now more than anything else is, is how do you use the talent that you have? That we talked a moment ago about the Georgia offensive line being good last season, probably not great, not the best that it had been in the very best moments of the Sam Pittman era, certainly as measured by the running game. This rushing attack a, a year ago and in 2020, not what it was in 2017, 2018. And that we even said during our vacation shows last week that if you look at an opportunity for the Georgia you know, team overall, offense in particular, running attack, rushing attack specifically, if you look for an opportunity for the 2022 version of Georgia to be better than the previous national championship team was in 2021, that you really center in on that rushing attack and how the offensive line leads the way for that rushing attack as maybe the way in which all that can go down. We talked a lot about that last week during our vacation shows, and I kind of have that on my mind too right now as the uh, Searles hiring appears to be imminent. But the thing that's going to matter the most to me for the next offensive line coach at UGA is what do you do with the talent that you have? That Georgia right now has a huge number of offensive linemen in the program, but in particular, you've got a handful of truly elite, relatively young prospects who thus far remain, to a degree, a little bit of a mystery to us. Now, in the one respect, one of those guys is solely because of injury. That Tate Ratledge would have appeared to have been one of Georgia's five best offensive linemen going into last season gets hurt right there at the very beginning of the season, and then we never got a chance to see him again after that. That based on the hints and the and the and the the promise of what he showed up last spring, that Ratledge had he played was one of, was going to be one of one of Georgia's best guys, and coming back to full health, really coming into that fullness of his potential, that full fruition of what what Ratledge promised. The next offensive line coach, getting that out of him is going to be very important. In fact, I spent a lot of time talking about that right before I went on vacation. That To me, he's one of the most intriguing guys in this Georgia roster right now. Taking that offensive line from what had been good, making it great, giving it a chance to be maybe even better offensively in 2022 than you were in 2021 because the offensive line takes a step forward. Ratledge was going to be one of those guys. Another one of those guys is Broderick Jones. That, that Jones became one of the real heroes of the national championship game because of his insertion, sliding Jamari Salyer over to the guard spot. Georgia offense just seemed to really click at the very moment in which all of that happened. And for Jones, it kind of finally seemed like his moment had arrived. After being one of those guys where you, know, you thought he might be ready to play, you thought he might be that guy, but maybe not fully earning the trust of the coaching staff, maybe not fully earning the trust – to, to, to be the guy that you put out there and you made him one of your offensive tackles, fulfilling his five-star potential at the end of last season by the national championship game. It seemed like that was kind of happening again. 
Well, for the next offensive line coach, taking the promise of what was shown against Alabama and putting that on display for a full season, getting that talent out of him and getting that performance out of him is going to be crucial for the next offensive line coach. To me, making use of that five-star is more important right now than going out and getting the next five-star. Because for now, Georgia's got enough talent in the program to be great along the offensive line if these guys will live up to a portion of the billing they had coming into the program. And Stacy Searles, who appears to be the next offensive line coach, that's his job. And if we're going to say that about Ratledge, we're going to say that about Broderick Jones, that's even more so for Marius Mims, because we probably know even less right now about Mims after one year in the program than we do about Ratledge, who seemed to be more ready to play right away, and, and Broderick Jones, who's just kind of a year older, therefore a year more ready. But Mims may be, from a just measurable talent standpoint, he may be the 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 best prospect of them all in fact we kind of highlighted Mims in particular on one of our shows last week as one of those five-star guys that could be ready to break out that you kind of need to be ready to break out to get the best that you can out of this Georgia offensive line here this year so normally I would say I'm the kind of guy that's kind of thinking long term of hey you've always got to be recruiting and you do and you've always got to be cultivating that next generation of talent and obviously that's still true for UGA but for now, my thoughts in this offensive line are, you've got the talent in place. Can you just coach these guys up? Can you unearth the potential? Can you keep them happy? Can you, can you get them ready to, to, to be on the field next season, what you need for them to be? And if you do that, then in some respects, the recruiting train stays on the tracks and everything kind of uh, operates as efficiently as it needs to. But, but for me, whether it was going to be Sturles or going to be somebody else, that was going to be the I think the centerpiece of the conversation for me is how do you on a short-term basis manage the talent that you have and get them ready to play right now, right away, those former five stars, inserting them somehow, some way as part of your best five and getting that as your offensive line for the upcoming season. That's the task I believe that awaits Stacey Searles as he gets ready to take this job for Georgia based on reports that are out there, including plenty more. You can read about this right now at dognation.com. So that's my thoughts on the matter. Let's get some more thoughts on this right now. It's a Dog Nation Daily presented by Palo Window and Door of Georgia Today. We'll make that kind of an unofficial kind of version of Around the Doghouse right now. But for now, let's get ready to dive in, get some more thoughts on the hiring of Stacey Searles, the next generation of Georgia's offensive line. Always a great resource to do all that. It's our buddy John Stinchcomb. Uh, glad to have him, all of you, and me back live doing all of that right now. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com Insider. So we'll say hello to John Stinchcomb here, great former Georgia offensive lineman, All-American at that level there at UGA, and obviously a keen observer of what's happening with this offensive line right now in transition. Matt Luke stepping away, reportedly Stacey Searles coming back to Georgia, stepping in as offensive line coach. John, a lot has happened with this position group since you and I last uh, spoke, so let me begin with the Searles part, and then we'll uh, do a lot of other things there for you as well. Uh, Searles was a coach at UGA after you were there. Do you know him, and what do you think about his return to Georgia? Yeah, so, I mean, he he, he came after I had, was already in the league, but yeah. I do remember coming back for a few seasons. It was, um, you know, during the years where we were playing some pretty good fo- football in New Orleans, you know, one of the years winning a Super Bowl, and talking shop with Coach Searles uh, at the time and thinking, this guy's sharp. He knows what he's doing. And 
he's a, a decade further along um, in the college ranks. I mean, most of it's spent in the ACC, but uh, someone who is a true offensive line coach in the same vein that Coach Pittman and Coach Luke, by nature, uh, were offensive line coaches. So understands the technique and going to chalk talk you to death and uh, offer things up that would not transfer well to the actual playing field, but knows the craft, can develop players, and um, obviously has good rapport with the rest of the staff. I think back at his LSU days uh, was with Coach Smart and Coach Muschamp, and, um, you know, it's, it's always a part of the network of coaches, and when you've cross paths with someone and, and you have that level of respect and understand what they're about and you still choose to, to bring them into the fold, I think that speaks volumes of, of what you uh, what your assessment of them is. Um, I'd also say it's kind of a tricky time in the season to, to find top-level uh, players or coaches. Right now it's coaches um, to come and be a part of your staff and, and to find somebody that knows – uh, what Georgia's about, and 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 I think it's also important to recognize that Georgia's in a much different place than when he was last here. But um, it, he knows what Georgia football is about. He knows what the standard is, and especially coming off uh, of a national championship, um, there's an expectation that it's even higher uh, than when he last left us. Talking about tough timing uh, for Georgia here. You saw on the screen there a moment ago, Serrell's leaving North Carolina. It's slated to start spring practice tomorrow. So, boy, it's mm. really tough for the Tar Heels. <laughs> I don't mean to make overly light of it, but really Sheesh. tough for the Tar Heels to lose their offensive line coach the day before spring practice begins. That uh, That is certainly not um, good news there in Chapel Hill. But, John, let me just be candid here for a moment. This news is not going to be – like well received by all UGA fans. This feels like a path that Georgia has traveled down before. You know, I'm willing to be open minded about this, but even I'm kind of left to wonder. Huh? I wonder what the master plan is around all of this. That you know, um, you know, you can give the first person account of having spent time around Searles. That's really valuable for the average fan who only saw the results for some of those offensive lines. For them, I think it's a ooh. Is this is this a little bit of a retreaded path here? A little bit of a, a, a well worn path here for Georgia. What do you say to the Georgia fan who's maybe a little skeptical of going back down this path again? Oh, well, why? why? Why are you skeptical, BA? Was it because of his uh, what his tenure while he was here? Yeah, I would say so. Of, yeah, I, I would. Okay. I would say so a little bit. Right. And so I, I think that's the argument most fans would make, and I think Georgia's in a much different place. Um, yes, that was well, one of the years, correct me if I'm wrong, but that was the Stafford-Moreno year that that Georgia team came in as a preseason ranked number one, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and now I think the level of talent that, that Georgia is able to recruit is on a national level, uh, not just offensive line-wise, but specifically um, on the heels of – what Coach Pittman and Coach Luke were able to bring in, um, the talent level that Coach Searles is, is um, inheriting is, is much, much higher. And, you know, that time will tell if, if he's able to keep it at that level because that's now the expectation across the board, not just for offensive line play, but for every position group that um, Georgia recruits on a national level in a top three position annually. 
um, when when Coach Smart first came and that recruiting that one of his earliest classes ended up in the top three and you're going, wow, it's an unbelievable year and, you know, this is so rare and he's made it a regular occurrence in Athens, um, that's where the bar is now. And, I, I, you know, I think that's probably one of the factors that uh, Coach Luke was looking at is the demands of a college football coach at this uh, point in time are higher than they've ever been. And, uh, you know, when he's, when he chose to step away, I think a lot of coaches and a lot of folks that know the game could go, Hmm, I get it. I get it. That, uh, because of NIL, because of the transfer portal, um, because of the level of play and the expectations uh, of a staff that is under, uh, the leadership of Coach Smart, the demand is always for 100%, 100% of the time. And I think when you bring in a veteran O-line coach like Coach Searles, um, there, there, there is a trend. You see young, new coaches that have been added that have, um, you know, not the pedigree, but it seems like they have the appetite to, to want more. I think you could say that about a couple of the hires. And then on the other side, it's, you know, the, the seasoned veterans that, um, that complement the, the other side of things where you have some new guys coming into the fold and some guys that have been around the block. And I, I like that chemistry. I like the idea of, of thinking in those meeting rooms, you've got fresh ideas from guys that are super hungry and you've got the, uh, w- battle-tested veterans that know um, what you can lean on in, in times of, of stress, which is constantly uh, in those levels. So I understand that argument of, you know, is this, is this a retread? How is this going to be different? But I'd say this, I think Georgia's in a much different place, and I think 10 years plus of uh, experience since the last time we co- saw Coach Searles uh, means that it's not the same coach that we got over a decade ago. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I'm glad that you're saying all, all of that. And I guess to kind of you know build on that a little bit more, I'm going to play devil's advocate here because while I'm not personally concerned about this, I do hear a lot of UGA fans who are the return of Mike Bobo, the return of Brian McClendon. I think both those moves in – the sort of arena in which they happen, I think are really good for UGA. Now the return of Searles, it sort of feels like a little bit of um, kind of a replication of the past in a way in which I think a lot of Georgia fans had kind of gotten used to the dawning of a new era under Kirby Smart. What do you think of of so much, I guess, um, previous UGA experience now returning to the coaching staff You know, all the way around? I think for some Georgia fans, this is a little bit surprising. Well, I, I like the fact that uh, we can look to uh, Georgia bred, Georgia raised, Georgia experienced uh, coaches. They understand what it means to be a part of this program. I think they have a, an appreciation for the dedication and expectations of the dog nation um, and, and want to be a part of it. I also think that you come back a, a different and better, hopefully, coach than the last time you left i think the experience that you gain going into other programs experiencing uh different ways of coaching and doing things and way programs operate that you you glean from those and you learn from those what 
what can we do better? What do other programs have that I can take and, and bring back to Georgia and make it better? But the draw of being a part of this program has never been higher. And I think to, to think just because they've been here automatically eliminates them as quality candidates because as a team, as a program, we weren't able to accomplish what uh, Coach Smart has and, and the team did last year by winning a national championship. I think it's a little naive. I think it's restrictive. I, the, the, the program – as a whole, wasn't able to accomplish um, that ultimate goal of winning a national championship. But that doesn't undermine the ability of these coaches when they come back to be key uh, additions that, that have added value because of the experience uh, uh, that they've gained from the time away from the program. So I think to a man, you can say that's a, that's a really good hire across the board and Coach McClendon coming back and the experience that he's had comes back a different coach. Same can be said for every name that we've listed of guys that were a part of our program at one way at one time or another and have come back. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And, you know, one of the things I was talking about before you joined us is, is that my feeling about this offensive line coach, and I was thinking this before I knew Searles was going to be that guy, but my feeling with this offensive line coach is maybe different than it would be for other position coaching hires that Kirby might make. Normally, I'm all about, hey, recruiting and forward thinking and how many great prospects can you get into the program. But given the current makeup of this offensive line talent at UGA, to me for right now, John, I got to tell you, I'm a lot more short term thinking. First of all, it seems like that for programs like Georgia, the coaches cycle through so quickly anyway. That for me right now, this is about how do you use the elite talent that's in place here? You know, it's Amarius Mims time. It's it's uh, Tate Rallich coming back from injury time. It's Broderick Jones, you know, full season time now. You you and I talked about this a lot last week when I was on vacation for our pre-recorded show. It seems more important now in light of the Searles news and the departure of Matt Luke that the real issue for the offensive line coach at UGA in 2022 no matter who it is, what do you do with the talent that you have? And you can't have guys like Mims on the bench. You can't have guys like, you know, uh, Broderick Jones as kind of a part-time player that, that these are measurably, I believe, you know, elite prospects and getting the most out of them is the job for whoever your offensive line coach is next year. Yeah, no question. I mean, the time is now because the, the, the level of talent in that room, and we've talked about it um, ad nauseum, is – Exceptional. I mean, truly exceptional. It's hard to find two good tackles, and Georgia has a bevy of them that would be the envy of, of many, many programs um, that are young and super talented and, and just need that time and experience on the field to, to make it happen. And I think that's what the draw of a Coach Searles is. I mean, having been at Virginia Tech, Miami, and uh, North Carolina most recently, Part of what he's done is develop talent, and they're not able to recruit the way Georgia is. They don't have the four- and five-star guys, so he's moving the needle with a number of these players and has done so in this level of, at, at, at collegiate sports for the past two-plus decades. I mean, the man has been around the game. He's an offensive lineman um, who, who played the game himself and has coached it at this level um, 
in, in, in various times and, and just developing talent, I think that's important. And with the amount of talent we have, we have to be maximizers. We have to see uh, the Tate Ratledges, the Mims, the Joneses, these young, super gifted uh, players that have all the tools and natural given abilities move, get better. And I, I think that's what you get when you hire an offensive line coach who's been around the game as long as Coach Searles has. Um, he's a developer. He's somebody that, that knows how to get the most out of a player. Um, so, so I think that really bodes well. And that's what he's going to be judged based on. How can you get these young, talented players um, plugged in and in various ways, even if it's not their natural position, which I think we could probably argue is the case for Jamari Salyer for the past couple of years. Um, and, and just because they're so ultimately gifted, how do we get the best five out on the field when you've got a pool of 12 best to, to, to pull from? And, um, you know, that's how he's going to be judged. And, and luckily for him, I think you've got – such such an amazing amount of talent in that room um, that they can push each other and really raise the standard. This m- has the potential for the next couple of years to be some of the best offensive line play that Georgia football has seen. In the time we have left, let me go back here on the departure of Matt Luke. And something like this happens, John, it's a little bit difficult to know exactly what uh, occurred. Certainly does not appear that Luke was fired. You know, it seems like he's still – you know, in fairly you know good graces with uh, with with the coaching staff in, in general, but you know, as I said before, it was not a perfect offensive line situation for UGA last year. Maybe not in 2020 there either. I, I guess, what do you make of the way in which Luke steps away from the program? Well, from everything that I've heard, and I, I haven't talked to Coach Luke personally, so it's going to only be based off. Uh, third-party accounts, uh-huh. uh, but w- what he said in his statement of um, I'm stepping away to spend more time with my family, um, that I appreciate this opportunity at Georgia, and I loved being a part of Coach Smart. I-, I hold that to be true until proven otherwise. I- the demands of a college coach right now are almost unbelievable. Um because you're constantly recruiting, that's that's been that's been the case forever. We get that, but you're also recruiting your own team. You're recruiting from other teams. The transfer portal works two ways. So, you know, for the for these four and five star guys that come in thinking that they're instantly going to walk on the field and change the game, and uh, humbly, ba, I, I mean, I've been in those shoes where <laughs> I thought having all these college recruiters come to my house yeah. and tell me how great I was that you feel like, okay, well, if, if that's true, I'm just going to step right in and, and be the cornerstone. Right. That's not the case. Right. And, uh, and, and, and it, that's okay. But you're constantly trying to keep engaged these 18, 19 year old kids that want to, and have the aspirations for, um, being the guy. And until you become the guy, it can be a difficult situation. So not only are you recruiting these high school kids to join your program, you're trying to retain those that you've recruited for the past couple of years to come to your program. 
And now you're recruiting from the transfer portal because it's a, a, a whole new mechanism of transfer. And, I, you know, that's got in and of itself just this recruiting aspect of the game. It is so much more demanding than, than I'm sure I can even understand. Um, so you're, you've added these new levels of expectation for these coaches. Not to mention the game uh, and, and the season has been so extended that you know you, you play 12 regular season and you got the SEC championship plus two games. It's an NFL long season while balancing and trying to maintain the fact that these are student athletes. So the demands are exceptionally high. And, you know, he, he comes to Georgia after being head coach of a program, which is the ultimate in, in demand for your time. And he's got kids that are of the age where he's probably thinking, how much of their lives am I missing? Am I sacrificing for some other family's kids? Um, and a lot of coaches have, have made that choice and find their balance. But for him, it sounds like that he's he's ready to make a shift in uh, time allocation. And, man, I respect it. It's a, That's a difficult balance to make. Yeah, so let me finish with this because I, I, I think that's a really important topic. And you know, it seems like right now we're asking coaches to make a choice. You can either be you know fully present with your family, and you and I both would certainly speak to how important our families are to us. You can be fully present with your family. You're fully present for your team, but it's kind of hard given the time constraints to be able to do both right now. So what that's creating is a scenario in which a lot of these coaching propositions seem to be pretty short term. I mean, at the college level, but also the high school level too, where you know you see coaches, you know they work they work their way up the coaching you know you know ladder. They get to this big job, and after a couple of years, it's like oh maybe I want something different because of the time constraints this puts on me. And you know Kirby Smart has talked about hey guys go to the NFL because there are certain challenges that college coaches face that you don't you know you don't find in the nfl right now and good coaches are leaving college to go to the nfl you know for that reason not necessarily about money it's about the way in which their time gets allocated is this one of those things where it's okay this is a short-term proposition it's it's okay that the intensity of the job only lends itself to doing it for a short period of time before you just get burned out and need to go do something else or is this one of those things in which hey it's a problem that 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 the coaching profession at the college level asks so much of you that it's no longer realistic to be a lifer at one job in one place for an exceedingly long time anymore. Yeah. I I mean, the gears of the machine have changed the expectations and, you know, let's not ignore the fact that compensation is increased and you're getting paid, uh, you know, (laughs) what would be considered astronomical amounts years ago. But, you know, there, there comes that time where you're weighing the scales. It's not just about money for time. It's also about time in and of itself. And I've got plenty of friends who are now coaches at the NFL level, and they understand that uh, from late July through January, what that, that expectation is for them but when that season's over they've got more free time and and they can manage their schedule and yes they're still evaluating players for the draft and um getting ready to to look at free agency but it is nowhere close to what the expectations are for a 
college coach and, you know, specifically position coaches because, you know, I've either got teammates um, from college or the pros at both levels and talking to them, the expectations are so very different. Um, One is intense during the season and yet you understand that you're going to have a lot more flexibility and free time for the other half of the year. The other is very intense during the season and it stays almost as intense for the rest of the year. Uh, so it, I, I think those expectations, when you look at them, you can see there's a stark difference. And, uh, you know, the draw, uh, candidly, B.A., I, I've looked at possibly coaching. Yeah. And, you know, the draw of, of coaching at the collegiate level is you can make such a huge impact on a player's career. And uh, really help them get better at their craft and it's a uh, they're still malleable and influential you, you can influence their lives not just on the field but off but you just got to know that's one piece of a much bigger ask and you know in the NFL you get a much more finished product and you're talking about refining some rough edges uh, but it's more about scheme and preparation for uh, game plan during the week than it is of, of, of player development and influencing uh, a young man's life. So, you know, from that aspect, you look at it and you go, mm, um, what, what it comes down to is what am I willing to sacrifice? And I think Coach Smart's not incorrect in saying that those scales over time begin to shift and you're going, you know, I, I can – realize a good return financially at both levels but um i'm I'm, i might be willing to sacrifice that sacrifice that influence i'd have on a player um for a little more time on uh influencing my relationships with my family yeah boy that's a uh it's, it's a big topic for sure John, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate that. You're a great guest to have on a day like this in which George is going in a new direction with its offensive line. So we appreciate your insight and appreciate your candor and look forward to getting a chance to speak to you here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of George again very soon as well. Always a good time, B.A. Go dog. Yes, sir. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. I tell you, I really love all that from John Stinchcomb. I think that's all really well said, especially the end part there about you know the challenge that that faces coaches and we would presume that this was at least a part of the the scenario involved in luke for luke somehow some way would cause him to kind of want to step down and for now step away from coaching we'll see how long that lasts and i you know say that knowing as as john kind of touched on there is a huge financial incentive to all of this And, and here's the thing like even though like eventually you know that hey it's going to kind of pull me in a direction i don't want to go which is away from my family the fact of the matter is, I mean, people respond to incentives and when the incentive of financial reward, but also like the, I hate to say it this way, but just like the glory that comes, I mean, the way in which shows like this and, you know, writers and whatnot, you know, kind of patch on the back and we kind of create heroes out of coaches who succeed. That's its own kind of incentive there as well, that the, the desire to climb the ladder in coaching is not going to go away, even though you know there are some personal trade-offs that will maybe make you regret some of the things that you do. The fact of the matter is the the incentive to do so is so great that 
there's always going to be a huge portion of people that just can't say no to it. And I mean, let's face it, we all at times kind of push ourselves to achieve things because just the draw is so great to do that, even though we know, hey, we're kind of maybe maybe making some trade-offs to do that that we're not always going to be happy with. It's just, I mean, the, the draw to succeed is just very high. I mean, it just it just is. That is that that path is greatly incentivized. And so for coaches, the the same thing is kind of true there. And so for Luke, he kind of finds himself in a position now where taking a break seems to make some sense from him. My guess is that break won't last forever because eventually, you know, you kind of want to get back in the game again. You want to be, you know, on the field. You want to be in your field doing what it is that you've done. And now Georgia turns its attention now to Stacey Seagulls. We'll talk more about that in relationship to our SEC through coming out. Before that, though, let me remind you that boy what a great time it was for me you know we talk about cruiser on the sec with royal caribbean and i actually just got back from cruising with royal caribbean i was on harmony of the seas for a seven day trip and, and i gotta tell you i mean uh, if my wife was here she'd say the same thing we had such an incredible time so much fun being a part of this great event and i'll tell you one thing in particular like it was probably like the last night of the cruise. We, had, you know, it's one of those things where you have like all the things you do during the day. And I'm kind of when it comes to stuff like this, I'm kind of an early bird and a night owl. I'm like the first guy up, you know, getting coffee and getting off the ship, whatever port we're going to. But I also kind of like to be like one of the last guys awake, having fun, doing some of the nighttime stuff there as well. And so, at one point in time, we're just kind of walking around, kind of soaking it up, and we kind of do our own kind of personal pub crawl, like on the ship and. At one point in time, you know, it's like there was like live music going on, like five different places. Like there's a piano bar and there's like the uh, guitar guy kind of there in one of the uh, in one of the pubs. And then you got the jazz lounge, you got the jazz music playing, you got a rock band playing over here. You got kind of a Latin theme uh, there at the Boleros uh, bar. And it's like, wow, you got you got live music going on right now, five different places. You just kind of go get whatever drink you want and have whatever experience you want. And like, you know, this is what fun is really all about. This is kind of like what Royal Caribbean really does is setting the standard for the uh, action that takes place there on a ship and i enjoyed it so much this past week and i can't wait to enjoy it with a lot of you we do our own royal caribbean cruise coming up in april now if you go to dognation.com you're going to find out more about this our friends at the cruise and vacation authority helping you getting all this booked up right now but still some limited space to be a part of the dog nation cruise setting sail april 25th leaving out of port canaveral that's the same port i just cruised from we're going to be on independence of the seas and we're going to uh, nassau in the bahamas that's a uh, port i was just at we had a great snorkeling trip while we were in nassau enjoying all of that the harbor there is beautiful and going out and snorkeling over the reefs was so much fun there uh, spending time in town you can go to paradise island you can do all that kind of stuff nassau is a great port to visit i was just there perfect day coco k you've heard me talk about that it was absolutely unbelievable i had not been there since it really kind of become perfect day coco k with the thrill side the chill side i had not really done that but boy i tell you i i, I loved every second of it you will there as well so be there with us it's going to be so much fun as much fun as i had you know being on this past cruise it just has me thinking about how much i can't wait to be with all of you there too so dognation.com you can find the link you can get in there you can go to dognationcruise.com as well just that website alone can help get you the information you need cruising vacation authority getting you booked up uh april 25th we're setting sail there from port canaveral going to nassau going to perfect day coco k they're on the independence of the seas you can also reach out to Cruise and Vacation Authority directly, tcava.com. That's the website, tcava.com, or give them a call, 770-952-8300, 770-952-8300. That'll get you that. All right, let me bounce through a few of these uh, stories with our SEC through pretty quickly because our music has kind of run out on us. So it's it's the butt of jokes. It's punchline, then we'll you know 
we'll take the easy route here there as well that Todd Grantham appears to be hired by Nick Saban as a uh, defensive analyst here bringing him in as kind of a quality control guy with the Alabama program and obviously Grantham's that guy that Georgia fans have loved uh you know having some fun with for a good long time because of the third and Grantham stuff and the you know uh, the way in which uh, Grantham was such an easy foil while defensive coordinator at Florida really even at Mississippi State before that kind of that that very goofy lieutenant for uh, Dan Mullen and a couple of different coaching stops and uh, obviously we think that's kind of funny here there as well Georgia certainly had its way with Todd Grantham for the most part but it's also kind of a reminder of this too which is that there is a story to coaches that is different than their public persona and John Stinchcomb touched on this some of this a moment ago that hey a lot of Georgia fans think they know Stacey Searles for the results that happened while he was here but there's any number of things that kind of factor into what you see as the on-field result what you see as kind of the public persona that a coach has that there's any number of things that both are in control of the coach and not in his control that impact that but there's a level of football knowledge that coaches know about each other that for the most part we don't have full appreciation of and there's no doubt that Todd Grantham knows football now maybe over the course of time you say well he uh, kind of proved himself to be the kind of person that knew so much about football that almost became paralysis by analysis where uh where where he had a hard time instructing on what he did know and maybe he had players who played stiff or players who played a little scared because they were just constantly filled with so much information that they couldn't actually go out there and be free-flowing athletes the way that you want them to be. Maybe that was true, but no one would deny that Grantham knows football. And from that standpoint, you know, he's valuable to Nick Saban. Maybe there's a kind of a tie over here with Georgia going back down the road, uh, the, the route of Stacey Searles as offensive line coach, that we have a perception of Searles based on what we've seen from him publicly at his time at Georgia, but maybe the actual story of what he is as a coach is a little different than that. Maybe guys like you know Kirby Smart and Todd Munkin, maybe they know more about that than, than we get a chance to only appreciating the public persona that exists. And, and frankly, sometimes these things have a tendency to play out in ways that are somewhat surprising, that sometimes when you hire the kind of the sure thing coach that you know is a grand slam hire, Sometimes it doesn't quite turn out to be that way. I mean, for instance, keep it with Alabama here for a moment, whose offensive line coach this past year was Doug Marone. Marone was generally treated as a grand slam home run, perfect hire for Alabama. Former NFL head coach, now working as your offensive line coach. And you know, the Crimson Tide offensive line is probably pretty good last year. I, I don't know that Marone was was universally praised by Alabama fans. I don't know that the Alabama offensive line was universally praised this past season. Certainly the running game was not maybe what it had been in previous years you know, for the Crimson Tide. So sometimes these coaching hires have a way of being somewhat surprising. What appears to be a perfect sure thing, not always working out that way. What appears to be a, a little bit of a you know kind of questionable hire sometimes they have a tendency to work out a little bit better the second time than they did the first time so all of that worth keeping in mind now that Georgia kind of going back down the uh, direction of Stacey Searles it appears as its offensive line coach a couple other things here really quickly uh Kentucky loses its offensive coordinator Liam Cohen to the San Francisco 49ers uh no sorry to the Los Angeles Rams Cohen going back to his previous stop there it's the 49ers that Kentucky turns to for its next uh, offensive coordinator rich scangarello uh former uh quarterbacks coach there with the 49ers coming in to uh, uh kentucky so the move from the nfl to the wildcats seemed to work out pretty well with cohen a year ago he was very very well received in his one year in the sec and we'll see if it works out the same way for scangarello there as well also uh dennis dodd cbs 
had a very interesting story over the weekend about the fact that attendance across the board in college football went down for the seventh consecutive year. Now, some of this is kind of based on the fact that, hey, you're adding more teams into like the FBS level and they are former FCS teams that don't have very big stadiums, don't have very big followings. And so that's kind of drawing your average down. But it's not quite that simple to sort of say all of this is related to that. In some respects, you even look at the SEC, you have at least a few hundred per game attendance down in the SEC, even at places like, say, South Carolina, where they're way better in 2021 than they were the last year of full attendance in 2019. Their number's still down this year from an attendance standpoint. Uh, Arkansas, one of the few places in the SEC where attendance was way up. In fact, Greg Sankey was quoted in the story from Dennis Dodd at CBSSports.com, and I just want to read you this quote very quickly here to kind of speak to what Sankey views as a pending problem, kind of an imminent concern for the sport. He says, he says that right now there's plenty of negativity around the collegiate sports world. People have said, well, these decisions won't affect fan interest. Well, something certainly is. It's not just TV. And it's not just COVID. We have to rethink our approach on key issues, Sankey says. That's almost a Captain Obvious moment, Sankey concludes by saying there. So, in other words, the SEC commissioner says, hey, you can't blame the attendance issues strictly on COVID alone, and you can't blame the attendance issues strictly on fans now choosing to prefer to watch games on television as opposed to entering the stadium and sitting there as a spectator in the crowd. Sankey says that some of the negativity around the collegiate sports world and things that are happening, I'm assuming he's referencing like NIL and Transfer Portal and some things related to that, they are kind of a little bit of an anchor on the sport right now, dragging it down, or at least dragging down its progress. Kind of an interesting, eye-opening statement there from uh, Greg Sankey, one worth exploring, I would say, in the future. But for now, we'll put a cap on that as cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Also, shouts out to the dogs on tour around here. We like to keep up with other UGA athletes, what they're doing in other sports. Obviously, big weekend for UGA baseball and UGA softball and more success from Matthew Bowling. But want to highlight in particular here, Sepp Straka, former dog on tour, uh, I should say former UGA dog, uh, golfer turned dog on tour, getting his first PGA Tour win in the Honda Classic. Nice uh, uh, tweet there from the uh, UGA golf coach, Chris Hack, uh, saying that love that he was celebrating with his fellow Bulldogs. It's the greatest golf fraternity to be a member of. Go Dogs, UGA Tour, Dogs on Tour. Sepp Straka, the latest former dog to win on the PGA Tour and uh, well-received there by some of the former uh, UGA guys also there in the PGA Tour. Such a great moment in the uh, locker room there at the Honda Classic. Certainly congratulations to Straka on that as he gets the win, no doubt uh, toasting that with a finished long drink, if you will. Obviously, we love the finished long drink around here. I don't know if Straka was doing that or not, but uh, certainly uh, you can do that to toast your great moments and great successes with the finished long drink. Obviously, it's a uh, great tasting, ready-to-drink cocktail right out of the can. It looks like a beer because it comes in a can, but it's a ready-to-drink cocktail that you can enjoy four different varieties. You get the blue can, which is the traditional gin kick with the grapefruit flavor. You get the long drink cranberry, which is a red can. The black can, which is the long drink strong, 8.5% alcohol by volume. I know some of y'all like that. Long drink zero, zero carbs, zero sugar. Just all kinds of great choices for you when it comes to finished long drink. Four different varieties. In fact, you actually get one of the eight can variety packs, which is two different cans of each of the four different uh, long drink varieties. You can enjoy that today. In fact, find out where you can pick some up, thelongdrink.com. You can uh, see that there, thelongdrink.com. And enjoy some finished long drink today, wherever you are. 
golf course near you, bar near you, beverage store near you. If you go to thelongdrink.com, you can find out all about it and figure out where you can pick some up today. So enjoy yourself some finished long drink. And as we wrap up here, we'll do a golden shoe. And a lot of folks still basking in the glow and celebrating their national championship. I show you this here on uh, Twitter. I thought this was a uh, very funny and uh, kind of a cool way to celebrate the national championship. Uh, Earl Wise, the wiser one, shares this from the from Wiser Dog on Twitter, saying it's done. I honor my commitments, and he gets his national championship uh, uh, tattoo. So you see the Georgia G, the date, January 10th, 2022. That's when it all goes down for UGA. Right there in the back of the calf. Uh, to be shown for everyone forever, Georgia has the national championship. Champion Earl Y says, this is worthy of a golden shoe. What say you, Dog Nation Daily? And I say, yes, indeed, it definitely is. Congratulations to Earl Wise uh, to being our golden shoe winner today. Wiser dog for getting his tattoo. That's good to be able to see. How about the lousy stinking Gators? New offensive line coach in place for UGA, but same result. 4,799 days since Florida's won a national championship. Long drought for that program. Then Gator Hater Countdown back in Jacksonville. 243 days from right now. Good, good news for Georgia getting another win of those lousy, stinking Gators. Hey, y'all have a great day. Thanks for letting me be back with you here today. Dog Nation Daily presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. We'll see you back here again tomorrow. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. It's good to be doing this again with you all after a week's worth of being away on vacation happy to be back in the fold again here and we're obviously reacting to the stacy searles hire kind of going down as the show is ongoing here today and i think the one thing i'm seeing a lot of chatter about right now is the total number of sacks that unc allowed a year ago uh 49 huge number 128 in the country <laughs> in terms of sacks allowed last year only liberty and acrid gave up more and like one of the things I always try to caution folks about is well, let's not worry too much about like total numbers of anything. Let's let, let's look at more at like percentage rates and things like that. For instance, like during the regular show, I talked about Georgia's sack rate a year ago, the number of times quarterbacks get sacked as a ratio of the number of passing plays that were called. That's a little bit more of an apples to apples comparison. Well, in the case of North Carolina, <laughs> they don't do much better in that regard either. If you look at the overall sack rate for a UNC last season, it was 11.4%. Let me see if I can find this again. 11.4% uh, last year. Yeah. 126 in the country. So uh, only slightly better there. 128th in total sacks allowed 126th in total sack rate. They just throw the ball a lot. Uh, so in normal cases, you know, you're going to have, when you, when you throw the ball more, generally speaking, you're going to have more of the good stuff and more of the bad stuff. In other words, you'll throw more touchdowns, but you'll probably also in comparison to the average team throw more interception, just because you're throwing the ball more, you will also, you know, give up, you know, you'll allow more sacks because you're just dropping back the pass a lot more. So in normal situations, that's what occurs. And yet in the case of UNC, that does not seem to fully explain away, the the futility when it comes to protecting Sam Howell a year ago. Now it's worse talent there at North Carolina than it will be there at Georgia. But that is a little bit of an eye opening stat to kind of arm some Georgia fans with was already a healthy degree of skepticism by going back down the Stacy Searles road again. So this is obviously going to be unpacked a lot in the days to come. In fact, go ahead and reach out to me on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily or in the comments section when we post this show at dognation.com. 
Let me have your thoughts on the Searles higher. We'll obviously address that more in this space again tomorrow. But for now, it's just really good to be back doing the podcast to cool down with you again here. And big thanks to R.S. Andrews for making it all possible. RSAndrews.com for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. Uh, they show up on time. They do the work that's promised for the price that's promised. You can check them out there today. Have a great day. We will see all of you back here again tomorrow.